if you missed the last couple of weeks, I'd really encourage you to look back at the podcast because um, it talks a lot in chapter 13 about the kingdom of God and Jesus explains a lot more about kind of what's happening with the kingdom of God, which is a big theme through the book of Matthew, and it will be helpful to understand kind of what's going on here and now with, with God's kingdom. He describes all of that. Jesus describes it in parables. And so I strongly encourage that. Tonight we're looking at Matthew 14, and it's three different events that are chronologically related, like one kind of happens after the other, um, which isn't always the case in Matthew. He bounces back and forth a little bit, but in this case, the other Gospels, they all line up, and they're like, this is the order of how things went down. So they're chronologically tied together, but like the theme of them, it, it's three kind of different stories in this. I don't promise to know like exactly how they're tied together, give some clues in here, and maybe just Matthew's recording, hey, here's this happened and then this happened. Um, but I think there is there's some reason why it, it's why the things went down in this order, and I'll draw a little bit of attention to that. But um, let's just start. We'll spend just a brief amount of time on the first uh, 12 verses, which talk about the death of John the Baptist. Would somebody mind to read Matthew 14, 1 through 12? At the time Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths, and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Okay, so this is talking about Herod, um, who, if you remember in chapter 2, there's Herod. That was Herod the Great, who's dead now at this point in the story. This is Herod's, who Herod the Great, remember, tried to kill the newborns, like he tried to kill Jesus once already. Mm -hmm. Um, Now this is Herod Antipas, who's one of Herod's sons, and he kind of rules over the area that John the Baptist did his ministry. And um, I don't know, it's kind of hard to like gather all the details, because we're not familiar with these, um, these people like the original hearers of this message from Matthew Ward. Um, But Herod, just a a tiny bit of history, this Herod Antipas ended up marrying his brother Philip, it says, his brother Philip's wife, while Philip was still alive, which by Leviticus 18 was not right. So John the Baptist kind of calls him out on it. Actually, he calls out Herod and Herodias, who Herodias was his sister-in-law, basically, that he married. So he calls him out. And, um, hey. Hey. So he calls him out on this, and, um, Obviously, uh, 
Herod and Herodias didn't like that um, because maybe they loved each other. I don't know what the story was exactly, but they, uh, they're married. And what happens is Herodias's daughter, whose name is Salome, it doesn't say here, but in other records, her daughter does some kind of dance before Herod and his people around him, which I don't, it doesn't say it was like some seductive whatever dance, but that's kind of what we think because it pleased Herod and he was very happy. He, whatever whatever she did, Herodias' daughter, it, Herod's like, this is the best thing ever and you can have anything that you want. And another gospel says up to half of my kingdom you can have uh, because we're so pleased at how you danced. Imagine that. <laughs> um, and so she, the daughter doesn't know, like, well, what should I ask for? So she asks her mom, hey, what should I ask for? And Herodias is like, I know, ask for John the Baptist, that jerk's head on a platter. And so Herod, though he's kind of scared to kill John the Baptist, because John the Baptist, is a, he's like, a, people think he's a prophet, and a lot of people love him, he's scared to kill him. But at the same time, he's like, but I promised this girl anything that she wanted, and so I'm going to go ahead and kill John the Baptist and put his head on a platter. And so he does that gives it to the girl, the girl gives it to her mom, and everybody's happy except John and his people and Jesus, and uh, so they take and put John's body away. Does that, um, you guys have questions on that sequence of events? So it was his niece that danced for him, or his daughter? Step-niece. Step-niece. So step-niece daughter, right? Step-niece daughter. he's married to her mom? Yeah. So who's Herodias? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a Herod and there's a Herodias. Herodias is the, is the woman that Herod married that was used to be married to Herod's brother. Yeah. So she used to be. So she used doesn't have two husbands. She's right. no longer with. But we know that Philip was still alive, and so it wasn't. It wasn't legit. There's like I can't even remember, but there's like a lot more drama. People marrying other people within the family. Like it goes crazy and not, but that's all that we read about here. But um, yeah. So, weird stuff. I don't know the history enough to just to go into why all that went down, but um, certainly it had significance to Matthew's hearers who would have known that these different people were a lot better than us, but um, Herod Antipas, just like his dad, kind of just, well, Herod Antipas is kind of a, a weenie. He just like gives in to pressure. Like he doesn't, he wants to kill John the Baptist. He kind of likes to listen to John the Baptist, but he wants to kill him. Uh, but he won't because of the people, but then he has to kill him because of these other people that he promised before. So it's like he just kind of caves into everything. I'm not going to really mention much beyond that about what goes on here because um, there's other things to talk about in this chapter. But um, So let's move on. So chapter 13, or verse 13 starts with this. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, I, I think what it means when Jesus heard this, some people say he heard that John had been killed, but it seems like he's referring back to verse 2, because um, Matthew takes like a little parenthesis there to describe what went on with Herod and Herodias and stuff. And he, he found out that Herod was saying, hey, John the Baptist has been resurrected, and, um, and so likely Jesus would assume, so Herod would want to kill him who... Jesus, who Herod thinks is John the Baptist. Um, lots of different things going on here. Um, but so basically, Jesus is withdrawing, probably just to just to kind of get get out of that turmoil. And like we've seen a number of times, he's like he's making the the events leading up to his death. They're happening in a certain sequence, and they're gonna it's gonna it's gonna occur. The cross is gonna occur at a certain time 
and um, it, it, it all goes together in, in the story of what God's doing. And this isn't the times that Jesus kind of withdraws to a desolate place. And we learn, like, his, his disciples join up with him there. And it doesn't say in this gospel, but um, in Mark, it talks about how the disciples had kind of just returned from some of the mission that Jesus had sent them out on. Remember, we looked at in chapter 10, he sends out the 12 to some different, um, to the different Jewish towns and cities to preach the gospel, to talk about the kingdom, to heal diseases. And they're kind of returning, it seems, in the book of Mark from some of those events. And so you can imagine, like, they're arriving on the scene. They're, they're going to this desolate place w- with Jesus, actually. And they're probably worn out. They find John the Baptist has been killed. Like, all this is happening at the same time. They've been busy with, with miracles. It seems, in Mark's account, like, the disciples are tired. And it says something about they didn't even have, like, they couldn't even eat in peace because they were so busy. And you can imagine it would have been the same with Jesus. So they're... They're worn out, probably thinking we're going to get to this place by boat, that there's going to be nobody there. It's kind of wilderness. It's kind of, um, hey, come in. Hey, come in, come in. Um, um, they're thinking they're going to arrive in this, in this place probably to be alone and enjoy some peace and quiet. And what's happened is... The people, I don't know if people could see like the boat that they sailed there on, but people are like scurrying along the shore, going over to this place where they're going to end up. And Jesus and the disciples can't, they just can't get away from the people. The people are there. And, um, and so Jesus starts teaching and he starts healing diseases and doing miracles there. And um, so you can kind of get the sense when the disciples, uh, oh, we need, to, we need to read on here. I'm sorry, I forgot to read the text. Somebody read from verse 13 to 21. I'll read. Um, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Okay. So you can kind of get the sense, like when when evening comes, there's all these people, the disciples are worn out. You can kind of get the sense of their hey, Jesus, it's like dinner time. Get, send these people off to go get dinner. Like, just, I think they're saying, like, just just get get them away from us. We're, we're, we've been with people enough. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, and I love what verse 14 says about what Jesus just goes on to do. It, it says he, he has compassion on them. And that word compassion, like, it literally means 
to be moved in one's bowels, which is kind of disgusting. But like, but it's a deep, like, inward, like, he feels compassion. It's not just like, oh, I think I'm going to try to be nice to them. But like, he, he's feeling a deep compassion for them. And interestingly, like, I probably, like I said, Jesus was probably just as worn out. I mean, he's a human dude. He's, he's God, but he's also human. So he's probably worn out just like the rest of the disciples. But I love that when he has compassion on people, like his compassion, unlike the disciples probably, never runs out. Like he's going to, even though he, he was even seeking a, a desolate place for himself, and we're going to see it in the next little bit, that he actually eventually finds that place and he spends some time alone in prayer. Um, but but this, despite what, what he's feeling, just as far as maybe exhaustion, whatever else is going on around him, John the Baptist did, he feels compassion for the people and for people, and it doesn't run out. He's going to continue on where the disciples are like throwing their hands in the air. Hey, we're, we're done with this. Jesus continues on. And even knowing, we find out later, he, he knows that people are coming to him sometimes just to see a miracle or sometimes just to be fed like they just want they just want a meal and so that's why they're coming to Jesus or those types of things like he, he even knows that they're not even necessarily going to receive him for who he is but he has compassion for them and uh, the disciples say send them away and Jesus says no you feed them and I think that I think primarily Jesus is talking like about physical food um, but it's interesting, the disciples have just returned from their mission that Jesus sent them out on in chapter 10. And in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, it's followed by Jesus talking about himself as the bread of life. And so when he's telling the disciples, hey, you feed them, I think there's a little bit more to than just, hey, you guys, you know, figure out a way to feed them. But I think there's something to the fact that that Jesus is saying, hey, we're doing more for people than just offering them food. I'm the bread of life, and that's that's the type of ministry that you have towards people. So I think it's, it's, it's a bit more than just, hey, let's let's feed these people. But um, compared to the disciples, um, Jesus' compassion isn't limited to the to the natural flesh, what like what we would do as humans. We run out of steam. And I think it would be interesting like, to compare this account to chapter 2 when Jesus is in another desolate place in the world, or chapter 4 rather, when he's tempted by Satan and Satan's first temptation. I don't know if you remember, but it's, hey, make these stones into, into bread. And Jesus doesn't do that for himself, but here for the sake of other people, um, he provides food. And I love how Jesus puts these, these broken loaves, he, he gives thanks, he gives these broken loaves to his disciples to distribute to the people. It's like he's saying, hey, you guys are going to participate in this miracle with me. You're not just going to watch like Jesus' never-ending compassion and be amazed by that. I'm calling you guys into this. Like You're, you're acting to be a, a part of this compassionate ministry of feeding these people. And I think it's cool because it's like, hey, who... Who gets the glory? Even though the disciples are like participating, people are maybe wondering, hey, how is all this, this bread and these fish, how is this increasing so much? The disciples aren't going to get the glory at the end of it. Jesus does. Like he, he's using them, but all of that glory is, is deflected um, back to Jesus. It's just like in just a minute we're going to see Peter. He walks on the water, and people aren't like, oh, wow, Peter, you're amazing, but they worship God, Jesus because of it. Um, 
But just to like put in your mind, this could easily be, it says there's 5,000 men, besides women and children, probably like a conservative number that I've read is probably 20,000 people there, at least if you, if you add the spouses and the kids and whoever else is there. Like it's, that's a ton of people, and you think about how much work and, and time and how much food would it take to feed that many people. I mean, it's, it's a, a large task, and Jesus is, is telling these worn-out disciples who just kind of wanted to get rid of these people, hey, I want you guys to participate in this ministry of compassion with me and feed these people. And I don't know if you guys have, have been like this. I certainly have. When you're like, you've served people like crazy, or you've loved on people like crazy, and you're at this place where you just want to like chill out and sit on the couch, or maybe like I was thinking of Pongo earlier this week, like his job is involved, he, he serves people all day long in his job, probably gets home at the end of days, like I just, I just want to like check out and just relax, and, and then the kids and everybody feel like, no, we're not going to let you relax, and we're, um, and, and it takes, uh, and we all have our own experiences of something similar. We just need to chill out. But then there's another thing that comes our way. And it's a moment when we need to, I think, depend more on, on God's supernatural ability in us to do what he's called us to in the moment. And, and not just like naturally what I want to do is, is shut off and just ignore this person or this thing. And that's not to say you don't need to go and seek rest and you need to find rest, like Jesus is going to do that shortly after this episode of the people. But, um, but man, those times, I, I know that you guys can associate with me just on, you, you feel worn out, and then it seems like God's called you to just another additional thing. And it's only in his strength that we're able to operate in that. Um, last thing, just to kind of consider in this part of the story, I... I wonder how often do we look at the energy that we have and the resources that we have and we don't even consider what God is able to do in a certain situation. Like, I don't blame the disciples for thinking, so we don't have enough food, so they're going to have to go get something to eat. Like, they're not, the first thing on their mind is, oh, well, Jesus will feed everybody. It's, that's not like the natural course of events. Usually it's like, well, we can't accomplish this ministry or whatever it is because we just don't have the resources like not even recognizing the fact that Jesus can actually like he's not limited his abilities aren't limited to this natural world his compassion isn't limited to what man is limited to and his, his abilities aren't limited to what like the natural scientific the physics of this world are limited to and um I think that's often us. Like, like the disciples could have seen, they've already seen many miracles, supernatural things that have happened. They've seen Jesus, not in this gospel, but Jesus has turned water into wine. Like they know he can mess with the elements and, and matter and, and make whatever he wants to out of them. But I wonder if there's oftentimes in our life that we don't even consider the possibilities of, hey, God could do this or he could do this. And we're, we're narrow-minded and we think, well, well reasonably, this could happen, so this is what I'm going to expect to happen, and nothing more than that. Um, but Jesus, gosh, it'd be so cool to be Jesus. Like he's he's walking around, and he knows he's not limited by like the natural realm. And so, anytime something comes up, there's some some problem. Hey, we're hungry. We need food. Like 
the disciples are thinking, let's find a restaurant, and Jesus has like 10,000 other options. Like, I can, I can make this five loaves into as many loaves as I need, or I could, I could rain down manna from heaven if I wanted to, to feed you, or I could make bread start popping out of your pockets. And, I, you know, he has, there's many different things that he could do when he's not limited to the natural world. And I think it's kind of funny that he, there's 12 baskets left over at the end of the, at the end of the feeding. After everybody's had their, their fill, there's 12 baskets. And I wonder, this is speculation, but I wonder if it's 12 baskets because how many of Jesus' key disciples were there? 12. And I wonder if it's just like Jesus saying, hey, like open, open your mind up a little bit. Like I'm going to give you a little memento to remember this. But here, take home this huge basket full of bread and remember what I am able to do. I don't think it's probably a mistake that it was 12, and maybe that has something to do with it, the 12 apostles. Um, I love what John MacArthur says. Um, he says, the supreme lesson for the disciples was to learn to trust God to supply what seems impossible. Even after pondering all day over Jesus' instruction for them to feed the crowd themselves, the thought of turning to him didn't even enter their heads. Like most of us, they were still inclined to look everywhere but to him, even after having experienced so many previous miracles. And another thing, and within that lesson was the lesson that although God is perfectly able to do his work without us and without what we have, he chooses to use us and our meager resources to magnify his goodness and his power. So that's back to what I was saying at the beginning. Like he invites the disciples, hey, I want you to participate in this work with me. And so I want to give you a little example of that. I'm going to show you a little card shift. It's called the, yeah, let's get it on the podcast. Um, this is going to be the multiplying of the loads. Okay. <laughs> so I'll, um, I'll kind of do it over here. I'll, you guys will be kind of the, the key. Um, I'll watch it too. Yeah. Watch my tricky hands. You guys will make sure you want to see this. So, like, it's cool when, when Jesus just does the, the miracles, like, by himself, which we've seen a lot of so far. But he invites people into, into the trick. So what I'm going to do is um, I'll have Daisy... I'm going to go like this with the cards, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to have you, like, stick your finger in at, at whatever point you want, okay? So I'll start out, I'll go kind of slow, I'll go about this pace, and you can decide if you want it, like, at the beginning or at the end or right in the middle or wherever you want, okay? So let's do that. Okay, right there. So are you, are you sure that's the card you want? Because we can do it again if you want, but if you yeah. feel good about that, you're sure. Okay, so take that card. And you can show it to people, and I'm going to try not to look here, but make sure other people see that card. Okay. Cameron, you were supposed to, you were supposed to text that to me, Cameron. Everybody see it? Yeah. Okay, put it back on top of the, the deck there. Yeah. All right, put it back on top. It won't spoil the trick. <laughs> All right. So I don't know that it was the Queen of Spades. That's okay. Or Queen of... Well, I, I didn't quite see it, so that's okay. It won't spoil the trick. 
Queen of Clubs, Queen of Spades. Jack you can tell spades. me. Jack of Spades. <laughs> So, what I'm going to do is I'm multiplying the, the deck, right, to many decks here. And, um, like, you've all seen magicians and stuff. They're like, they can handle the deck in a special way to where they always know where the cards are or whatever. So, maybe I did that. I'm really not that advanced. But um, I'm going to have uh, a couple of you um, just kind of think where you might think that card that Daisy chose, like where it might be. Like is it right here, is it right here, here, here. Um, and I'm going to choose kind of where I think it might be. And um, so this is like, you know, Jesus kind of doing the miracle. I, I think that it's right here. So I'm going to check and see if that's your card. Is that your card? Queen of Clubs? Okay. Um, so what I want to do now, though, is is ask you all to think, okay, if the card wasn't there, like, where where would you have chose the card to be? So, um, like, Alicia, like, if you thought, well, one of these piles, like, I'm going to draw you into to this, this trick with me. So, <laughs> like, if you thought, oh, which one of these would it be? Would you think it'd be here or here? Or would you think it'd be here? Or right You'd think it'd be right here. Okay, so this is like this is you doing the the trick. Now we're going to take this card and see that it's the Queen of Clubs. Now um, maybe Daisy like picked somewhere different, and so um, maybe what we'll do this time um, instead is just have Daisy pick like let's. I'll have you lean forward and just like put your finger on one of the stacks that you think this is the card. Put your finger there and just keep it there. Okay, to make sure that I'm not like doing anything fishy. So, so maybe, and maybe pick a different one. It doesn't have to be, but okay. So you think, is that the one you chose? I can't remember. Okay, it wasn't the one you chose. So like this is, um, you know, Jesus multiplying the loaves, I said, is, is the name of the trick. So um, we're just going to see if, if that happens to also be the queen of clubs. I'll, I'll let you pick that up. You can, I shouldn't have touched it, but okay. Okay, cool. So are there more than one So we'll, we'll we can, uh, we can examine that later. All right. So we've been waiting for a sermon to show that trick. So here's what I want to, here's what I want to point out with that. So like, when I do that trick, like, who gets the glory in that? Who is it like, wow, this guy, if you, if you don't understand the trick, like, who, or if you didn't see the trick, uh, like, it goes to me, right? Like, we don't think, oh, Alicia, Daisy, man, they're, they're incredible. But all the, I mean, the glory, <laughs> it, should, it should go to me, right? All the glory and honor to, to Jared, right? So, um, so Jesus has his, his worn-out disciples participate in something that is is supernatural really and again it's not just supernatural like it's multiplying food but it's supernatural even the compassion like you guys are i want you to be a part of this compassion ministry with me and they're seeing that jesus compassion isn't limited to the natural world jesus ability isn't limited to the natural world jesus 
and this is the part that I love and I want to communicate to you. Like Jesus commands our participation in his work outside of the natural world. So things that we don't think, we, we don't even sometimes think of as being possible, like, man, I didn't even know that was going to be a possibility. Um, like, Jesus calls us into that work with him, trusting him. Now, the glory isn't going to go to us, and man, if we, if we try to, if we're doing it in our own strength or whatever, we're going to fail, we're going to fall short, and, and but Jesus, he, he's commanding our participation. This is a cool little turn in, in what's going on here. We're going to see the same thing in the next story with Peter. It's, it's, he's involving his disciples in with what he's doing. So let's read on to that, verse 22. Somebody could just read 14, 22 to the end of um, the end of the chapter. 22 to 36 this is the best part. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they fell out of fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, The Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And you can read the next three verses just at the end. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. Mm-hmm. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought him, uh, brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched were made well. Okay. So just backing up a little bit, Jesus actually gets the kind of the privacy that he's looking for. He dismisses the crowds. He sends his disciples um, to Bethsaida, we read in another gospel across, you know, in the boat. And um, interestingly, and this is just a little side note, but like it says that he came to them in the fourth watch of the night. That's like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So what's happened here is it is evening, dinner time. Jesus is like people are dispersing. And Jesus is by himself praying up on the mountain until it seems until three, like he, he's praying a long time, hours of prayer it seems, which is really cool. Um, maybe he was napping in there too. I do that when I pray too. Um, so I just want to ask you guys this question. I've never considered it before, like studying through this the past couple of weeks, but um, why do you think, because this is like, we hear this story if you grew up like in Sunday school and stuff, that Peter and Jesus walking on water, that kind of thing, we've heard it before. But I never really asked the question and want to see what you guys think. Like, why do you think Peter asked Jesus to, like, hey, ask, you know, t- command me to come to you on the water? Like, why would Peter want that? Just, we're speculating, I think, a little bit, but um, what's your conjecture on that? 
the same reason, the same reason that you told Daisy to put her finger in the middle of the deck somewhere. Okay. You could show her. But this break. is Peter. Yeah, I got what you're saying. But this is Peter saying, "Oh, oh, so maybe Peter's like putting application to that. Like, I want to do something similar to, to Jesus." Oh, what is that? Test. Test. I mean, walking on the water, they had just seen tons of demons and crap. They need to make sure it was, you know, Jesus. And then um, with Jesus being our Savior is one thing, but Him being our Lord, you include Him in all your actions. And you ask Him before you make moves, like stepping out of faith or walking on water, practically. Um, and so for me, that's what, that's what I would think He was asking, like, Lord, if this is you, you know, can I move? Command me to go. Command me to come. Yeah. Um, this can't be my own idea to try to walk out on water. Let me throw into the mix that that definitely could be the case too. Um, I imagine that the disciples are well. There's a storm going on, right? They're being beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. We find the time, like if they're still on the lake at this time, it's taking them much longer than it should have to get to where they were going. They're three or four miles out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and so there's probably like fear stirring up in them, like it was. We read several chapters ago when Jesus calms the storm, like they're freaking out. Jesus is sleeping, so there's probably a certain amount of like fear here, and so it's just it's interesting to me that like Peter then his like. Just kind of out of nowhere, it's like saying, "Well, okay, let's let's see um, see if I could walk." Like Jesus probably could have revealed himself other ways. I wonder, like, could it be that, like, when I'm scared and something's going on, I'm not sure what's going on. Like, I I run to safety, or I want to run to the person that I think is safe or can provide safety. And I wonder if, like, Jesus, or Peter, actually, who gets kind of a bad rap for some of the things in his life, like, we kind of think, oh, poor Peter was just a denier, and he just had struggled with his faith. But I wonder if, like, Peter hadn't actually learned something, like, hey, a safer, like, safer than me in this boat is actually in the storm, but with Jesus, the one who's able to, to calm the storm, the one who's able to bring peace. And maybe it is that he, he wanted to he wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to get to Jesus. And maybe he's putting some, some practice to, hey, there's like there's supernatural possibilities, obviously he is, outside of what like my what my mind thinks that, that could actually happen. Like he's he's considering other possibilities for safety other than just Jesus tell tell the storm to calm down, but it's traveling towards Jesus. And but oftentimes I feel like like we don't we don't consider even consider those possibilities and we're surprised at what God is able to do. So it'd be like if if Sadia was like, um, hey Jared, make that queen what was it? Queen of clubs? Make that queen of clubs like um, appear in my purse, like a like a something that like well we wouldn't even consider that possibility. That wasn't even part of the trick or something. And do you have a purse even? Maybe we could so, is it this one here? So say like um, this. So say um, you be Peter and just say, "Hey Jared, um, command the card to be in the zippered pocket in my purse." Jared, command the card to be in the zippered pocket in my purse. 
Okay, and so we'd applaud Sadia and say, hey, you know, you, you had great faith and whatever. Um, and she's thinking outside of, you know, what the realm of her possibilities are. And you could maybe go ahead and check just to see. But, <laughs> wouldn't that be, like, awesome, but you, you should check. Um, is there a zipper pocket on you? <laughs> Jared, could you command it to be in my wallet? <laughs> Check your wallet, maybe. <laughs> so, I think it's a cool thing. Like, I think Peter is realizing maybe more than than other disciples realize and it was again something that was outside of the realm of possibility in their mind um but i think like peter's actually a stud like he's the one that's stepping out of the boat and believing like hey something like this could actually happen under under god's control um and it's like like peter gets a bad rap for denying christ right but where are the other disciples in that episode like they're nowhere to be found and at least peter's like close to jesus like in what is it, Caiaphas' courtyard or whatever, like, he's, he's at least nearby, and, like, who else can say they walked on water even for a second, you know, only Peter and Jesus. So, like, Peter's done something right in walking in faith, and, um, like, he's not as, as wimpy as we think him out to be. Um, but then Peter fails, and he, he doubts that uh, what could happen what was happening could actually happen. It's like he's he's thinking to himself, "Hey, this this isn't this isn't possible that I'm doing what I'm doing." And I don't I don't know if it's a prideful thing or he he starts to think and forget about the fact that hey, Jesus' abilities like this is he is able to do whatever he wants to do. Jesus isn't restricted. I'm, I'm operating in faith in what Jesus he's called me to participate in this with him. He's he's commanded me to walk to him on the water. Like Peter's forgetting about those things and doubt is entering. And ultimately, we, what we've seen in Matthew, when people don't have faith, it seems like the, the miracles kind of end up stopping. Because I think, like, why why aren't the miracles happening when there's not faith? Je- what Jesus really wants is the faith. He doesn't want people just to be like, oh, look at all the cool things that Jesus can do. But he wants our faith. So if people aren't going to have faith, we see, like, in his hometown in Capernaum, he, he, he stops doing miracles in these places um, because of their hard heart. It's not producing faith in them. So why... Would he have the miracles? But Peter, like, he falters in this. And I think, like, we have a, a, so much to associate with Peter in, in this. And that, I mean, if you guys are, are anything like me, my, my entire life with Christ is this back and forth and, and medley of worshiping God and faith in him and then doubting God or, or being afraid, which is kind of a show of, of doubt and what he's able to do. And, and I go back and forth between these things and, 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 and trusting God and having faith in him and doubting and fearing and trusting him. And, have, and um, I can just, I mean, can you guys, like, do you feel that in your life some? Um, but the, the beautiful thing, and my favorite part of the story, which we, is just a verse, um, that we don't want to throw out is that in verse 31, even though Peter has this doubt and this lapse in his faith, what happens? Jesus immediately reached out his hand. 
Yeah, I love that it says he immediately reached out his hand. Like there's nothing in Jesus that's like, oh, well, let's let him kind of, you know, suck down a little water first and, you know, just kind of feel the, the doubt that he's expressed. But Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and takes hold of him. So, like, it, so here's what's going on. Peter's jumping back into the world of, well, here's naturally, like, what's going on. He's, he's forgetting supernaturally what God can do, and he's like, this, this isn't, this shouldn't be happening, I should be sinking, this is impossible, why am I doing this? But Jesus is still operating in, in full ability, not restricted by what mankind is, is restricted by. So Jesus is still standing there on the water as he reaches down immediately to Peter to rescue him. And so I think it's all part of Jesus' plan in this. Even, even Peter's doubt, because what happens then next? They get in the boat, the storm's calmed, and then what do the disciples do? They worship Jesus as the Son of God. Like, this is, they've advanced in their understanding or belief of who he is to some extent, even by referring to him as the Son of God. And I think, again, MacArthur explains this well. He says, and this, is so, this was so encouraging to me when I read it, because I can have weak faith and I can kind of vassal back and forth between faith and, and worship or trust in Jesus. Um, MacArthur says this, Jesus doesn't reject weak faith, but accepts it and builds on it. The Lord takes us as far as our faith will go, and when it ends, we begin to sink. It is then that we call out to him, and he again demonstrates his faithfulness and his power and our faith learns to extend that much further. As we trust God in the faith that we have, we discover its limitations, but we also discover what it can yet become. So we see Peter in this moment of kind of fledgling faith. And if you were with us a few months ago, you know we actually learned from a, a whole book of the Bible, there's a couple of them, that this same dude like at some point, a little bit later in his faith, chooses to write, and he has, seems to be a, a, a rock solid, or at least a much advanced faith from where he was at this point. And so, like we studied through the book of 1 Peter, it says, he, I mean, I think Peter even comments to this. Um, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, in this, or in salvation, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's this faith that throughout our life and throughout the crucible, it's, it's tested by fire and it's stretched and we, we have faith and we're walking in faith and then we falter and we don't believe. We don't believe that Jesus isn't isn't restricted to this world, that God is all-powerful and that God is all-compassionate. We forget that and we stumble and we fall in the water a little bit. And Jesus immediately pulls us out of that. And we, I, I think there's this cycle that we can see. So we've talked about how tonight we have, Jesus has, his compassion isn't limited the way our compassion is in, in the flesh can be limited. Jesus' abilities aren't limited the way that our abilities are limited or um, limited. Jesus commands our participation in the work that he's doing, and at times we are going to begin to sink. But what happens when we begin to sink? Jesus reaches out to us. He shows his never-ending compassion to us, 
He shows us his ability to pull us out of that. Then he invites us and he calls us to be a part of that work or to be a part of another work of faith. And then we join him in that and, and things are good. And then we stumble and we have doubt and we fall. And in, in that process, then Jesus immediately reaches out to us. And all this time, our faith is, is being tested, it's being tried. And I would say it's growing like very much. It grew from Peter very much. I hope you see in your own lives that your faith grows as a result of not not just your, your faithfulness in following Jesus, then all the praise would go to you, but in your stumbling and in your falling when Jesus reaches out to you again and his compassion and all-powerful abilities and pulls you out of that back into right relationship with him and back on the track of faith and belief that he could work supernaturally. Like that's, it's, it's a process of our faith, and that's what he calls us to. So I was just encouraged as I studied through this and say to... Remember, first of all, in, in the person of Jesus or in God, he's not limited in the same way our flesh is limited. And he calls us to, to be a part of some of his work that is supernatural. And I'm not just talking like doing crazy miracles, but I'm talking loving this person when you're all out of steam and it's more than you feel like you're able to do and you depend on the strength of the Lord to love that person. So... Just kind of by way of a couple of questions of application, I want to ask you guys just to consider, spend a couple minutes considering this, and then, um, what time is it? 10 till 9. Okay. Um, we'll spend a couple minutes considering it, and if somebody has maybe comments on, on some things that they thought about during this, you can um, say that. But ask yourself some questions like where has God asked you to participate in his work and especially those places that seem outside of what is naturally or fleshly possible for you maybe it's something in the past or maybe it's something that he's called you to now but somewhere where God has, has called you to participate in his work and especially in a place that seems it's impossible for, for you to accomplish that in the flesh. So I'll give you a couple examples. Maybe there's somebody, like I was just saying, somebody that God has called you to love, but you feel like you are at the end. Like you, you can't give any more to this person. And it, it seems impossible. And maybe God would have you to depend on him and his strength and believe that he is able, through you, to him be the glory, through you, to accomplish the love and service or whatever it is for that person. Maybe there's somebody that Jesus um, has in your life. I know I've felt this way many times, that you think, man, I'm sharing the gospel with this person, but there's no way that this person is ever going to repent and, and turn to Jesus and believe and follow him. Like they're just, they're too far off or they're engaged in this or that or whatever it is. And you think it, it just, it seems impossible. And you, you doubt that that's uh, a possibility. Something you doubt would ever follow Jesus, and maybe Jesus is, would would want you to continue in that relationship and believe, hey, it's not about what you think, it's not about you convincing that person or you being able to do something in their life, it's about what I'm able to do and I ask you to participate in. Maybe there's something that's going on at work that is like, that's, that's sinful and you need to pull out of that situation, but you're afraid, well, that's going to make me lose my job, and then I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, and I don't know how I'm going to have enough money to provide for myself or my family or whatever. And, and maybe God would probably remind you, hey, there's, 
like he's got a 10,000 possibilities of solutions for this that you're not even thinking about, that our, our mind doesn't even go to, like the card and the purse. Like that, it's not like our, that, that God can come up with a solution if you'll walk in obedience to him and participate in his work. Or maybe you're like going to have to dip into your savings account because um, there's a need that you see that needs to be met and um, that's going to you're not going to feel as secure and you're going to have to trust the Lord for that. So think through those things maybe where your your faith needs to be stretched. And remember that like Peter's application of walking on water wasn't random. Like he was headed to Jesus. He waited actually for Jesus to give him the command. Like he heard clearly from Jesus, this is what you're supposed to to do, walk to me on the water. Like, we have clear words from Jesus, from God in Scripture. Like, plenty of stuff that he calls us to do and to walk in. It's not like we have to do random, well, what's the craziest faith thing that I can think of doing? Something that's not mentioned in Scripture. Well, I, I think I should maybe just fly over to Chipotle, and that's really going to impress people. Then I can tell them about the gospel, so I jump off the building. Like, not, it's not like random stuff, but it's like, no, stuff that Jesus, that, that God has told us, this is this is what you should be doing. Um, these, these are the types of things. It's not stupid faith or acting presumptuously, but it's clearly God has said this, and I need to engage in this, whether or not it seems possible in and of myself or not. So take a minute just to kind of think about what that might be or those things in your life. places where you've trusted God before here, but for whatever reason, at this moment, or you have moments of, of just doubting that God can actually do something with that. So that's me a lot of times. I go back and forth. My, um, my cousin, she's, uh, she's been, like, really struggling lately, um, and living like a very sinful life and she's been shutting out our entire family because of shame or she doesn't want to hear it like she doesn't want us to like to present our concern to her and she knows like how devoted you know to god i am and she knows like how strong i am in my faith and for some reason i'm the only one she will talk to about it candidly and openly and for some reason she doesn't fear that I'll judge her and um at first I was like really stressed out about it I was like I like don't want to be the one that she's telling me these awful things to because I don't want to judge her or like make her feel ashamed but but I don't agree with it and I don't know if I feel equipped to like give her the advice that she needs, and and I and I and I doubt that she can come out of it and turn to Jesus because it's just so deep in sin. But then I started to realize that God must be like heavily pursuing her if I'm the person that she wants to open up to of everyone 
in our family. Um, so it's still in the middle of it. Like there's no like resolution. Like all is good now. But I I think about all the time like that that God must be like really pursuing her, and that and that I'm I'm obviously like a key element he's using in that. So that's like really like, cool to think about and hopeful. It's easy to like forget or doubt even that, hey, God can give you like words to say or bring to mind scripture that you've read or whatever that's going to be helpful and encouraging her. Or, or, or God's, you've been convinced that, hey, there's, there's truth in scripture and, and we stand on that truth. And regardless of how somebody reacts to that, it's, it's what we believe and it's our job to communicate that. And, you know, there's all these things that go through your mind maybe. And, um, yeah, but it's good. You, like, you're gonna fail some in those conversations, and that's gonna be part of the process, probably. I mean, maybe he'll say everything perfectly. Right, but, um, but yeah, that's gonna be part of it, and God's gonna help you out of that and grow your faith. I, I mean, you guys know this as well as I do. Like, if you've if you've done anything that felt like a leap of faith, so to speak, in your life, like, regardless of really where it ended up, that, it's those types of things that, that stretch your faith or push your faith to a, a, another level where you're, you're maybe the next time you're less doubtful but things I know in Mary Beth in my life that we've, we've done, we felt like, man I, this doesn't seem like the like earthly wisdom thing to do, it seems kind of stupid but I, but I feel convinced in scripture that this would, it would lead us in this direction and yeah, those are the times where our where our faith grows and where we see fruit produced in our lives. And yeah, what did anybody else have uh, any other thoughts? Like, what's what comes to your mind? Where man, I need to I need to grow in this. I need to trust God in this in this thing that He's called me to. And um, maybe have doubts in it. shows me how much that I do in my flesh like I I will do what I think I can do that's like in the natural world but rarely do I just really put something out there to God that would he would have to do it like because I kind of make or goals for myself or put requests out there that I'm like well you know this is pretty possible um, but just convicted is like can would I even have the thought of thinking out of the box of could I walk on water and asking God or um, I don't know, yeah, just even trying to think outside of the natural to believe that God's all powerful and can do much greater things than I can see and touch and own or, or do in my own yeah. flesh. Yeah, even with this, the sell, sale of our house, we're about to put our house on the market and it's like we, there's been a, a couple of things that have postponed us from getting to the house to, to fix it up and make the curb appeal nice and whatever. And we're like, but we have to get it on the market right now because our renter is going to be moving out and the house is going to be on the market for an average of 50 days in the area or whatever it is. And so in order to have enough money to do this and that, and you now God hasn't promised to like uh, break us even on the house or anything like that. But man, God, we've, we've realized God can do whatever he wants. He can like sell our house, our $200,000 house for $10 million if he wants to, we could, you know, 
but there's there's so much like why why do we fear and why do we think well God just isn't he's, he can't help us out in this and we just depend on our own human capacities. That's fresh on my mind. We're going tomorrow to fix it up. Do everything in our earthly power to make it look nice. <laughs> um, going along with that thought, like that verse comes to mind all the time of. Um, like whatever you ask in my name, you shall receive it. And I I fall into the the thought of well, I'm only gonna ask for things that I can tangibly think are realistic. Like I wouldn't ask to sell the house for ten million because I'm like, no, that's that's unrealistic. Let's let's be honest. And so like but we are called to pray with faith and we are called to, to ask the Lord for for things and so it's like I in my my own life I don't pray for things that I can't tangibly see as realistic. And yeah. sometimes yeah. I, I, I'll I'll gauge how unrealistic something is and say, well I'll go a little a little beyond what's unrealistic so that I can pray with faith and like yeah, well, yeah. the Lord can do that, you know? Yeah. So yeah. No, and, and again, like God's not asking us to like just put together a wish list and say, "Well, here's here's what I want," you know. But all of these things are. It, it seems like, in my understanding, it seems like this is this is leading me towards Jesus, or this is this is accomplishing the will that He's called me to. And if that means, man, it seems like it would it would be advantageous for this to happen. And yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to pray for that. If, if that's, a, you know, in, in Jesus' name, if it's a, according to his will, to the best of my knowledge, that's what I'm going to pray for. I'm not just going to pray for a Lamborghini and think, well, because I can tell people how good God is. And, but um, but I would, God. I would. <laughs> All right. Let me pray, and then uh, you guys are welcome to hang out. God, thank you so much for... Uh, giving us your word. Thank you for spelling out in your word clearly um, what you call us to, the type of people you call us to be, the type of um, mission you call us to. Um, many of those things, even that we've seen in the book of Matthew, are counterintuitive and very different than what the world suggests as good ideas. And yeah, we saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, Lord, would you um, help us to follow you where you call us, even if that looks completely upside down to where the world is headed, or completely upside down to what we can accomplish. And, Lord, because of that, I pray that we would give you great praise, um, and we would glorify you, because we can honestly say this was you that accomplished these things, because they weren't humanly possible. They weren't within our own faculties accomplishable, but uh, because you are at work in our life, because your Holy Spirit empowers us to live for you, um, these things that you call us to can be accomplished. So may we, may we honor you, may we follow in obedience, Lord. We confess that we have uh, lapses in our faith like Peter, and we say thank you for your unending compassionate love that is right there ready to grab us and show us hey okay let's let's move on now to the next step of faith um thank you that you're you're so good to us in that way lord um 
thank you for uh, the the day when our our faith will will become even more fully uh, real to us as we see you uh, face to face and um, Lord, we look forward to that day. In the meantime, would you stretch us? Would you grow us? Would you help us to walk faithfully? Uh, because you are, are faithful, because you are powerful, and because you are loving. Amen.